is in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, we're going to help you out the only way we know how, by being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, HelloFresh and Quip. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. The spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who currently has a fly on his head. But that's not unusual. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. No, that's a piece of purple and gold confetti, my friend, as we are recording Whoa. here live uh, on Sunday after the Lakers won the NBA championship, which if you've listened to this show, you will know that I love playoff basketball. You will also know that I am a Rockets fan first and foremost. But because I love playoff basketball and my girls are now older, I've raised two little Lakers fans. I didn't even mm. I didn't even like they from day, game one, like Lakers Rockets, Lakers Lakers yeah. like they're ecstatic. So I guess like am I a Fairweather fan? Kind of, but I'm also just a good dad. Like they were so into it and also <laughs> into it way too early. Like the game five, like first quarter. We have the lead. We I'm like, it's the first slow down, slow down. <laughs> Some might argue a good dad would uh, instill a sense of loyalty to one's team. I, I don't know. Some might some might say I would we weren't say, on but... we weren't on the same side earlier in the playoffs, but after that I got on board. So if you hear fireworks in the background, that is uh the LA is popping right now. Yeah, surprising no one. Uh the LA basketball Lakers uh won the NBA championship tonight. So uh yeah, kudos to LeBron and everybody. AD and Rondo yeah. getting another one. Yeah, heck yeah, of a year. Yeah. Weird, weird heck. year. Weird year. Weird year. Uh all right. Uh, we're not gonna talk about sports. We're gonna talk about video games. And we got a lot to discuss tonight. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm very excited because DLC stands for Documenting a Legendary Career. Because we have game journalist and documentarian Elijah Lee joining us for the first time. Hey, Elijah. Hey, guys. How's everyone doing? It's good to be Pretty here. Pretty good. Great to have you. Great to have you. I, um, I am excited to talk a little bit right here at the top about yeah. your documentary. I kind of referenced it a little bit in the DLC mm -hmm. acronym. Uh, but yep. you have uh, written an article and uh, made a mini doc about the first black woman video game designer. Is that right? Yes. Um, so this, the whole process took me uh, the better part of eight months to do just to, just to research who she was and find out who she was because there to was find out who, who holds that title. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it all started back when I was just, doing a YouTube video and I wanted to do a YouTube video for black history month. Um, I'm getting through it and I'm realizing, you know, I have a lot of black guys and I wanted a black woman. So naturally my mind goes, who's the first uh, black female game designer. And I Google it. And the first result that Google gives me is Carol Shaw. And I'm like, Hmm, that, that doesn't seem right. 
it's a, it's a little, she's, you know, she's a white lady. Um, so I was like, I don't think that's right. So I started researching. But Google is infallible. I don't understand. I, at least I thought it was. But it turned out there's just some things it doesn't know. So it just became kind of a semi-obsession of mine to find out who this person was. And eventually I found her. It was a uh, French woman named Muriel Tramis. So, mm. yeah, so she uh, popped on the scene. Her first game came out in 1987. Uh, <clears throat> She's was, fascinating because I, I yeah. watched her doc, and I, it's fascinating because she made a lot of erotic video games, right? <laughs> yes, she did. Uh, long before Leader Suit Larry, she had, yeah. Yeah, she had these games that were come out that were about eroticism. She ha- had a, a manual, which is about a woman who cheats on her husband and then feels guilty about it so she leaves both her husband and the person she was uh, cheating on him with and the guy that she was cheating on with follows her to try to win her back it's just very interesting and there's nudity throughout the game and there's a lot of very interesting stuff that you wouldn't expect to be in a video game in like the early 90s to like even today we wouldn't have video games about that even today i mean it, it, it sounds more like a uh you know an hbo series or something than than a video game yeah, I, it's kind of interesting because a lot of the games that she made, we wouldn't really make games about today. Like she made a game about being a slave and trying to overthrow your masters, which I can't, I can't imagine anyone <laughs> making a game like that today. Yeah, yeah, and these are you know obviously uh, games using by our standards very primitive graphics and and technology, you know. But still, I'm I'm have you have you been able to play any of these games? Yeah, it was a it was a difficult process to, to actually get them to play on my machine, but I was able to get some of them to play. Um, they're just they're they're very uh, rudimentary uh, point and click adventures, but the stories themselves are they kind of have this way of captivating you that you kind of get lost in it, that you don't care that it's a a simple uh, point and click adventure because the stories are really really that interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, this seems like a figure that has sort of, I'd never heard of, I've been covering video games, you know, most of my life. And, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that this, this woman was using this art form to do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And most people have never even heard of her. Yeah. I mean, she's over in France. She has a, uh, she's, she's more well known, but the tragic thing is that she's not that well known, uh, over here in the States. And that was one of my main goals that I wanted to find out who this person was and make, and like shout their name from the rooftops because everyone should know who they are. Uh, yeah. for the simple fact that, um, if nothing else, they're a trailblazer, you know, to yeah. inspire other people, um, other black men and women who want to enter the gaming industry to see someone who looks like them who's done this work so they can have a reference for that success. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I, when I clicked on it, I thought that I kind of expected to get that message out of it to, to learn um, about, you know, a, a diverse past that I wasn't aware of. I did not expect to learn about really uh, someone who was using the medium to do something so different than yeah. what it's used for now. I mean, it was such a, a twofold revelation for me. And, and I, I thought that was so interesting that, you know, video games can tell any kind of story and why not, why not yeah. these kinds of stories? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of the the you know I go back and forth with people about this all the time that you know we talk about video games being an art form and we you know we we fought for that to to be able to say that for a while, but when it comes to like treating it like an art form, we kind of shy away from it. We don't want to deal put uh, serious topics in video games for some reason yeah. because in in a way we still see it as being this like childish pastime, which it really isn't. It can tell these very powerful stories. And I really here in 2020 don't even think we've reached like the peak of that. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. It's crazy. Even, you know, when we bring up the idea of sort of adult or, or erotica in, in video games, of course you have to reference leisure suit, Larry, which is such a juvenile. I mean, that's literally the only thing that we've got. I mean, I know, I know steam is full of lots of (laughs) games in that particular subgenre, but I, I still feel like, it's a strange thing that the only reference point we still have is leisure suit Larry. And that represents such a juvenile mindset. It's a game that, you know, can get still get some kicks out of, I guess, but Mm -hmm. uh, it does seem like, you know, here with movies and television and books and other storytelling mediums, you have a whole range of diverse kinds of stories from diverse storytellers, but also these different genres that video games just seem to not, do and here's this person doing it in the late 80s early 90s it's just mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me i can't get over it yeah Sometimes they're rolled into other genre right like i think part of what makes bioware's games so uh, attractive bad choice of words or perfect choice of words was the romance options and it wasn't like erotica per se but romancing different characters and taking different characters to bed catherine um and, and you you see examples of it in other games but certainly like where the reason you're playing it is this romance i think the the others are kind of the dating sim games yeah yeah um and there are certainly a plethora of those and then some just not mainstream um jrpg style games that you know don't break through and become a final fantasy but certainly are there and and have quite a following but it is not a genre that's like, oh, what do you play? Why play RPGs, first-person shooters, and erotica? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so this is, uh, again, uh, Muriel Tramis is, is mm-hmm. the name of the woman. Uh, it's a name that I, I, I will not forget now. And, and I think that's uh, pretty remarkable. And, and I'm so grateful for you to you know, bring that up and, and kind of give her a, a moment in the spotlight that she deserves. It, what is something that you, Elijah, uh, learned or were surprised to learn in the process of making this documentary? Well, there was a lot that that just caught me off guard that not only, you know, when I started this, I was expecting to find the first uh, Black Female Game Designer to be, you know, might have a small part in a game that like no one's ever really heard of or something like that. And that's why that that person was lost to history. I wasn't expecting this person to be so prolific that has like, she's gotten the leisure of the Legion of honor in France, like their highest um, award for civilians. I wasn't expecting for her to be such a, a, a big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. to just, I wasn't expecting for her to craft these like very interesting stories to go from creating these like groundbreaking games about slavery to eroticism to being part of the Goblin series, which is, you know, for, you know, it's, it's, it's a popular, uh, game that was, that came out in the 90s. So it was kind of, it was kind of a shock. I was expecting them to be like this, this unknown person that I would eventually stumble upon. I wasn't expecting them to be such a, such a big name. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's something that, that we've talked about before and I think bears repeating. And uh, I think your documentary makes a great case for it is, is more voices, more diverse voices making games makes for more diverse kinds of games, more interesting stories, you know, stories about slavery, as you said, stories, stories that uh, I think, you know, the video game industry as large as it has become still doesn't tell the wide range of stories that it can. And I think, uh, I think that's proof (laughs) right there that you get more interesting creators, more diverse creators making more interesting, more diverse kinds of stories. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I just, I can't wait for you for us to get more, more diverse people and more diverse uh, voices into the gaming industry. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, tell folks where they can watch your documentary if they're interested. Uh, you can actually watch it on YouTube at www.youtube.com backslash the icon stream. Um, or you can just go to my website at www.theicon.com. So, all right. Okay. Well, let's jump into the show and start things the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit, that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com or... You can go to our Discord. We have a thriving community on Discord as well. Uh, I should have been mentioning that every week, and I'll, I'll endeavor to do so going forward. Uh, but also, there is a, uh, a game club, which is sort of like a book club that is being organized on the DLC Discord. And um, I think they're in the last, the last throes of voting for the game that's going to be the next, uh, the next game club game. I think they're down to three choices right now so head over join our discord uh i think it's five by five dlc on discord uh and uh join that community it's awesome folks and they're doing really cool interesting stuff so um yeah all right elijah you are a guest so you get first pick of stories what would you consider to be your story of the week uh something i've been following uh was that outriders has been delayed until early next year i believe it is yeah it's supposed to come out february uh, yeah it's supposed to come out the uh this holiday and they delayed it yeah i know christian this is a game that you were very much looking forward to as well because you got the early hands-on with it but this is that co-op shooter being developed by uh people can fly the the studio that made um bullet storm and painkiller uh they're it's being published by square enix and it was going to be a big holiday release, a pretty big holiday release here uh, among a very crowded holiday. But it looks like it's being pushed. It's coming to basically every platform imaginable. Uh, but now instead of uh, holiday, it's coming out February 2nd, 2021. Evidently, the campaign, this is a one of those games that uh, is built around co-op. Uh, people are kind of comparing it to, um, you know, Destiny and other um uh, games as service type experiences where you're grouping up with people and taking on challenges, but they did confirm that the game will have a 25 to 30 hour single player campaign, uh, which yeah, I think I, you can also do during um, with uh, uh, co-op. Sorry. Go I, ahead, Christian. They, I, I just think they've had a hard time shaking that getting lumped in with like a games as service looter shooter. My understanding when I played it and, and what I've read of it, this is not a games as service game. 
this yeah. this is a it's a looter shooter you know kind where you're upgrading and gearing but it's like it's a story it's a campaign you're you can play with friends and i think they are going to have some you know post game things to do when you're done but they've kind of compared it more to diablo um versus a destiny and diablo certainly grew and became a seasons and you know running through things again but diablo is not world of warcraft to keep it within the same publisher right and i think outriders is going much more for that approach of yeah you're getting gear you're getting loot you're gonna be customizing your character as you progress but it is not four years later you're playing destiny 2's you know new expansion or whatever yeah yeah so elijah you had this one on your radar big time it was it was going to be a holiday purchase for you yeah i was very very interested in it and one of the reasons why i feel like they probably contributed to them delaying it is because of the comparison to uh destiny 2 just because you know just because it it from the outside looking in it does look similar and then you have destiny's next big expansion coming out um in november that's it's kind of become like a, a kind of a pseudo launch title for the ps5 and for the xbox series x so i think they just didn't want that competition so it's better to like push it back even though the game looks similar to destiny but it's really not but it was definitely something that i wanted to play it looks fun um it was actually the similarities to destiny that made me want to play it (laughs) right yeah i i have to say I, i probably won't make anybody happy saying this but i uh I'm in favor of, of, of more delays at this point. There's too much yeah. coming out at the end of the year. I'm looking down the barrel of all these big, huge experiences, uh, coming in the next month or so. And, uh, you know, more delays is good at this point. I got, there's plenty on our plates, but I, I totally understand what you mean. If you're, if you're looking forward to a particular title, I just think February, I mean, February will probably be packed too. Like everything is packed, but I kind of feel like pushing stuff to next year is, is not a bad thing anymore. I don't know, you know, I'm in favor of spreading the peanut butter across the entire piece of bread. You know what I'm saying? I agree. So there's lots of bread coming in February. Um, uh, But Christian, I know you were excited about this one too. Are you you bummed about the delay? No, I'm I'm not. We hadn't heard about it for a while. So I was kind of half expecting this to happen. And even when they announced it, it was a, you know, we're targeting a holiday 2020. So I I always kind of saw this as a possibility. And I think they said that while development has continued to go great, it's been kind of the QA stuff that they face challenges because of COVID. Like this year and probably into 2021, I think Jeff, we'd kind of talked about this where initially publishers and developers were like, this isn't going to affect us at all. And that was like March. It's like, it's gonna, (laughs) you know, like there's going to be ripples of this. And we're going to see them for a long time in video games and film and in music as well. I have, um, you know, some friends and some punk bands and they're like, what are we going to do when we're allowed to tour again? Like tour off a four-year-old album or do we need to put out a new album, but we can't support it with a tour. And I think video like movies, every 2020 movies, now a 2021 movie, what happened to all those other 2021 movies and games as well. This is pushed to February. How do things keep staggering back? But um, I think it's the right call for this game. And if it can launch, launch, polished, and you know, play as well as that first four hours played, uh, I think it could be a you know a, a hit, a sleeper hit, or something that just kind of blows people out of the water when it comes out. Yeah, I agree. Cool, Christian Spicer. What is your story of the week? Uh, it's not a quiet week again. There has not been, we are rolling into, what is it? T minus when this comes out a month until consoles. Yeah. Almost exactly. Yeah. Pretty crazy. 
That is, it is wild. It's, this is not my story, but since this is kind of seemed like the place to talk about it, oh, maybe I will. This is not on there, but we can spend time on it. I was going to talk about Crucible. I do think it's interesting, but maybe this is more interesting. Uh, Elijah and Jeff, check. let me know if I'm wrong. We're a month out, and I feel like we don't know about a lot of the games, kind of. Like, I'm well, buying- there just aren't very many of them. <laughs> but like, <laughs> when do those, got pushed. <laughs> when do those launch windows, like, when do I find out when I can close my window and let Ratchet and Clank in? Like, I, uh, I that's twenty twenty one, baby. That's that's going to be another February uh, piece launch, of bread. That's launch window. I think so. I think I think launch window is like, you know, a three month period <laughs> from <laughs> the beginning of of a console cycle. Like I'm buying Miles Morales. It, it's a good chance that that sneaks in as one of my favorite games of the year, but I don't know what it is. Right? Yeah. Like I do, but I don't. Yeah. And Xbox, I, I mean, having watched a lot of basketball, like they were marketing around Halo in a really big way. Like the Taco <laughs> Bell ads, like the guy becomes Master Chief. Um, even I really like their new um, trailer or commercial that came out for the series S and X recently, but. Um, it also looked like it kind of leans on some, but like, what is it? Like, Elijah, are you, are you hyped? Is I, the hype so, train chugging along and what are you hyped for? I've been talking about this for a while and kind of complaining <laughs> because <laughs> I was, I was talking the other day. I was just like, you know, complained about E3 and stuff like that. But this year, this year really showed me that the, the, we needed an E3 like event because, we have no information about any of the games. We barely have information about the consoles, really. Like so- Sony, like keeps piecemealing information out. We're not hearing anything about the games. Like, yeah, I want to play Miles Morales, but there's still it's still ambiguous. <laughs> like, there's a bunch of ambiguous games that are coming out that I want to play, but I'm just like, uh, what am I playing? Really, you guys really think that about Miles Morales? I, I I feel like I know exactly what that game is going to be. You know, it's it's going to be an awesome Spider Man experience with Miles Morales storyline. I, I I I'm not. I don't I'm know what else other what information storyline is. Like they yeah, they, exactly. they, 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 they teased we, out the storyline of the first one, and then of course there were surprises and reveals along the way. But like, who's why the do villain? you need that? Like, who cares? He's, it's going to be awesome. Like, the, I feel like the first game, the first game had an awesome storyline. We know that there's going to be rad characters in this one. I'm in. Like, that's all <laughs> so, I need. I, I just by feel saying like I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in too. I just want a little more information. I would like to have seen a like more uh, of the game being played and stuff like that. You know, we have these new consoles that are coming out, and you know, we have the PS5 that has all these new features with their new controller and everything like that. But we haven't really got that much information about how those new features will be utilized in the new games. It's kind of yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that. I mean, it's been interesting seeing, and, and we're going to get to this, but it's been interesting seeing that the consoles have been in hands, in people's hands, in reviewers' hands, mm-hmm. and yet they're only able to talk about very narrow parts of how the consoles work. It's it's such a weird thing. I'm seeing that with, with you know, gadgets of all types, not just consoles, but, you know, that's how the Surface Duo was. <laughs> People were, like, allowed to talk about how it feels and how it looks, but not turn it on. It was It's such a weird time for reviewing tech it it just um it's, it seems like these these graduating steps of information as you guys are talking about meeting it out over time uh i can understand that feels dissatisfying i just i guess 
for me, Miles Morales is is an inst- I just know it's going to be a home run, and I feel What's- like knowing that you know the bad guy is Mysterio and the lizard isn't going to change me. You know, well, that's oh the no, I'm, no, I'm definitely not buying that game. You know, I don't know. Well, that's the easiest one, and why I started there with like, yes, I'm going to buy this, but typically, it, 2020 is anything but typical. But typically, we would have seen that stuff, right? Like, and and Sackboy's Big Adventure, I think it looks super cute. And a lot of fun, but I'm still not sure exactly. And maybe we're just too far outside a month. But like, what does it play like? How does it move? What is it? I don't. I don't know. And then Xbox, I think, is the biggest question of just like, I open that thing up, turn it on, and just go to Game Pass and play the a prettier version of the games I was playing. It just feels weird to me. It it, it just feels it's weird, weird because. We're in a different paradigm for uh, console upgrades, right? It, it's just, it's not like we're used to, which is a new generation starts on this date. And that generation includes this, this, and this. Say sayonara to the old generation because the new generation is here. It's like this bit line in the sand where old is done and new starts. I feel like all of that has blurred so much yeah. that... And and we're about to talk about it here on the show in a second in another story. But so much of what these consoles are uh, landing on day one with is a huge library of stuff that's already available. It's like it's like buying a new PC. It's buying a, like a really sweet new PC, and you can play all that old stuff you've got better. You know, it looks nicer, and you get to crank up all those sweet settings that you weren't able to before, and and stuff when you get a new PC with a new video card or whatever. Uh, it's less, it's less like, you know, we're closing the door on an old generation and opening a new one. And and I, you know, that is definitely a weird feeling because so much of what I'm excited about is this like vestigial feeling of a new generation. And it's really kind of not that completely, you know? And I think the, the biggest game of the season, uh, arguably with cyberpunk won't have its next gen updates out at next gen you know like yeah you mean cyberpunk itself yeah yeah correct and so yeah yeah i just i find it super curious and and i think i i think i do support this kind of move into next gen and who knows kind of like elijah said like what it would have been like if there were an e3 or you know bigger state of play kind of you know traditional not 2020 year events for these things maybe we would have had hands-on with the everybody would have been able to touch the haptic feedback on the ps5 people would have been able to see load times you know for themselves and played valhalla on series x um but every like trailer and it's like they're all like thirst traps at this point (laughs) 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 it's like we all want it but we don't quite know if we're being catfished or not to keep filing on internet memes i don't know i i I get it i mean sony could say that the new PlayStation 5 is powered by a potato and I would still want it, but I would still like <laughs> yeah. to know what kind of potato do I have to water yeah, it? You're right. What's going on? Yeah. yeah. Is it, is it au gratin or is it, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, Christian, I will allow you to also do the other story you wanted to do because I am in a giving mood tonight. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Um, Amazon has had quotes out that says like they want to be on top of video games and certainly with their, I've already forgot the name of it, but their streaming service that has a, a made-up name that I'm excited about, but I don't remember what it's called. Luna. Luna, Luna yeah. thank you. And and Twitch is, you know, booming. I know it because it's my friend's daughter's name. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Amazon, 
they are in the space in a big, big way, except for when it comes to actually making games. And it was maybe four or five years ago now. Everything was five years ago. I apologize. Um, where they, you know, got some top tier development and talent in there and they had these games coming out. And then Crucible was the one, like, for it came out and the TLDR is Crucible is done. Like, after going full release, what, in, in May? Or no, July. Yeah, it June, I think it was. Uh, it like, came out, then went away, then came back as, like, it came out in beta, yeah. went away. It was released in May, and in June, they pulled two of the game modes that it launched with, and then it went back into closed beta in July to address feedback and work on planned improvements. Yeah, and then it came back, and now it's gone. Like, November 9th? It's it's done so, and I I not guess just, wait not just done so, not just like oh we're we're not continuing to work on the game. Y- you can get refunds on it. It is so done that it's like we're refunding people their purchases. I, I mean, I, and I guess Amazon has the money to to do that. And I guess you know if your game doesn't hit, they don't expect every game to become a Twitch sensation two years after it came out because streamers start streaming it all of a sudden. Um, but it is it is wild. Like I want the business school study of this. Like what happened? Why the sudden decision? And I'm curious, Elijah, did you dab your toe into the water that is the crucible? Or were you kind of sitting on the sidelines like I was? I was sitting on the sidelines. Um I could rant on and on about Amazon and their and their gaming uh practices but yeah i i just sat on the sidelines and kind of watched it and it was kind of like watching a train wreck as as it was happening (laughs) yeah it is i mean we haven't really talked about it on this show jeff but i feel like it is a a huge story of like what can go wrong or how hard it is to make a hit game even if you're backed by all the money yeah and you know you either look at it and go they made the smart decision to just instead of trickling out or, or continuing to sort of feebly support this thing to just end it and move everybody to a new project. Or you go, well, that's pretty lame to ask people to get excited about this ecosystem and then abandon them. I don't know. I'm, I'm more, I guess I'm more in, in line with the first idea. Although the project that reportedly the team has moved to is the big MMO that, Amazon has been working on called new world. And you know, if, if there's another project that you need people to have a little confidence to, uh, to join in on and invest in, you know, over a long period of time and try to ensure that they won't pull the plug on. It's an MMO, right? Not an easy game to make, to make a hit. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is I kind of lose confidence in Amazon when you're, you know, your first game it's, problematic from the start you know you have to take it so bad that you have to like say oh we need to take it back and then you cancel it because it's just you're doing such a bet it's just no helping it i'm kind of worried about future games that you're that you plan on coming out like is it really worth me getting excited about it and and trying to like invest you know in time and money in something when i'm just going to end up maybe getting a refund a couple months down the line yeah, you make good points, Elijah. It is, it's, it's, you know, and then also they're saying they're doing this service and they're all in on this service. And it just, I don't know. I feel like I got burned with Google a bit. Um, you know, it just feels 
It just feels like the same thing is kind of happening again, but hopefully not. That's why I, I feel like. Oh, go ahead, yeah. Elijah. No, I was just going to say the 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 whole Amazon and Google entering like the whole streaming service for video games. It's always felt a little weird for me and <laughs> made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And just because I was just like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking it's Amazon and Google. I know they want customer information. And then when they throw these games out mm-hmm. and they're not that great, I'm just like, what parts of this service are you really focusing on? Are you really focusing on the games? Or are you focusing more on the collecting customers information so you can improve your algorithm? Yeah. I mean, there is that. There is that. I, I was encouraged because of how well Amazon fared in the Prime Video, for example, uh, world, which, you know, I find to be an excellent service that I utilize all the time. And I love that it's rolled into my my uh, yearly Prime membership. I think how that's great. How good does Invincible look? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I, that's a great comic, too. I love that comic. It's, it's such a great comic. And the, yeah. the cartoon looks so good. I know. I'm super excited about that. Um, but I, you know, I, <laughs> I totally agree with you, Elijah. It, it is, it is disconcerting a bit. It, it, and it's funny. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Microsoft was getting into the video game world and people were skeptical. There was a lot of people saying, you know, American companies don't do this and they certainly don't do it well. We saw Atari die. Uh, American companies don't especially a company like Microsoft what does Microsoft know about making consoles. Uh, and you know, a lot of the, those people were proven wrong, right? Microsoft was in it for the long haul. They, you know, the, the first Xbox was not a uh, home run, but it, 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 Xbox 360 certainly was, and they stayed in and have, have endured and become one of the big three. And so, you know, there's precedent for that, but I, I do understand what you're saying as far as like, me being the product uh that that part is I, I think new to the video game industry a bit yeah it's a it's a it's a bit it's a it's a bit worrisome but even with with microsoft when they were making their their console i felt like they took it they took it very serious um but one of the thing is it's like the first xbox like you said wasn't a home run but it might not we might not have gotten the xbox 360 if it wasn't for halo because yeah, maybe, Microsoft yeah. paid attention to the other companies and they knew that in order for your console to do well, you needed to have a good like exclusive title and they had Halo. Yeah. But the thing is like with Google where their downfalling was like they were promoting destiny a heck of a lot. Like they wanted that to be their launch title. And like as much as I love destiny, it was a free to play game that was available on every other just about every other console. And it also yeah. wasn't the best. I played a decent amount of Destiny on Stadia, but it also was not the best way to play it, like in any way, no. shape, or form. Like the lag was just noticeable enough. The graphics weren't as good as PC or 4 Pro or uh, 1X. Yeah, I tried, playing <laughs> I tried playing it, and it was not... I, I struggled with it, and I have like 100 gig, gig internet, and I'm like, it was, I was pulling out my hair the entire time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a testament too to Microsoft. They've said earlier their approaches in like X Cloud, you know, whether it's a project or not, but like we're going to give you the box to play the thing under your TV or on your monitor or on your computer or like this is another avenue. And like I really, really like their approach of we want to be wherever you are 
and give you the best possible way to play the game that you can. And if that's on your phone, uh, you know, while you're traveling or sitting somewhere else on good Wi-Fi, that's a great way to play it. But if you're on your computer with a 3090 or whatever, like we're going to support that. And we have this beefy box that you can buy and play at 4K. We also have this other box that's priced super aggressively that still has great load. It's like, it really makes sense when you see some of these other, you know, I don't want to use the word bespoke per se, because that implies like, sometimes like hands handmade craftsmanship, but like these disparate approaches to delivering games and none of them being as, as good. And it's uh, problematic. Well, I do need to say uh, if, you know, we're talking about stadia and we, Christian and I do this a lot, especially me, I'm pretty hard on stadia. Um, We did get an email to DLC feedback at gmail.com. This came from Robbie. Uh, Robbie wrote, Hey guys, I'm trying to understand all the hate for stadia. Yes, they missed features at launch, and I get how that is bad. No argument there. But for a gamer who has a young family and doesn't have money to have a solid gaming PC to play games like Doom Eternal, Stadia is perfect for my gaming needs. It seems like there's a lot of hate for the product in the media, and I just don't get it. So that came from Robbie. Uh, And, you know, I'm happy for you, Robbie. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think that's exactly where Stadia is positioned right now, and I think they could do a better job of communicating that. I think, you know, part of the thing that we've criticized from the start with Stadia was it doesn't have a clear message of what this pro- who this product is for and what it's what problem it's solving. Uh, it's, it seems like a product in search of a problem. Uh, it, it could have either been this great Netflix type experience where you're paying one fee and you get a ton of games that you can play anywhere. I feel like that would have been compelling. No, that's not what they did. That's not what the message they wanted to give. They could have said, hey, it reduces the barrier to entry, which is something that Robbie seems to like. You don't need a big beefy PC. You can play it on any old thing, even a Chromebook that's super cheap. That's really not the messaging that they've seemed to rally around. So for me, it doesn't seem that it, yes, I'm glad for you, Robbie. And I'm glad that that's, that is something that a benefit you're getting from it, but it's, it really doesn't seem to be positioned as that kind of service yet. That just seems to be one of the things you can do with it but it doesn't have an identity. If it was like, hey, this is who we are. We're the easy way to get into gaming company. <laughs> you know, we're the, we're the close the gap. Anybody can do it all the time. I would be like, oh, that's cool. That's a really cool niche to position yourself in. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I don't know what they are. I, I completely agree with that. That's one of my problems with it. Because for a guy like me, Stadia would be perfect because, you know, there's a, point in time where i was traveling a lot me and my fiance and we would literally like pack up the ps4 because we have two ps4s we would pack them up and take them with us wherever we went so it would be nice to have something like a stadia to play when we're traveling but the issue is is that like you can't just have okay internet you have to have really really good internet and just like that's like, I don't know what to do. Who is this service for? Like traditionally consoles had an identity, even Sega, when they just, their initial identity was like, we're going to do what Nintendo doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And so, Nintendo don't. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, uh, I agree with you. Yeah. It, it, for it to be that thing, it needs to work on hotel Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> it needs to work on your crappy hotel Wi-Fi. So, yeah. Well, hopefully they'll, 
figure it out and, and we'll see a 2.0 type of uh, experience and Stadia will be amazing. And I'll be eating all my words. Uh, that's, I, I genuinely hope for that. So yes, yeah, I still love it too. And I, I, I want Luna and I want X cloud. Like I, I still really love this stuff, but it does have hurdles ahead of it. All right. My story of the week is a big one. You guys have left me a real juicy one. I, I think I, I'm, I'm fascinated to talk about with the, this, with both of you. Um, Sony started talking about backwards compatibility. And certainly, as we've kind of indicated throughout the beginning of the show, a lot of what is going to make this next generation, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X and S, uh, compelling, at least at the beginning, is the backwards compatibility. Now, Microsoft is doing it in a very, very big way. We saw a bunch of, um, of publications have the Series X on hand and test out the backwards compatibility features of it, how it adds uh, quick load times and up resing. And, um, you know, people, <laughs> I saw Keely uh, talking about playing Blinks on it, the uh, the time traveling game. I think it was original Xbox uh, title. Uh, so there's all these people are playing uh, Fusion Frenzy on it and getting all these <laughs> crazy, uh, uh, you know, fast frame rates on these old games and and seeing how the new hardware handles it. Well, Sony put out a fact about how they're handling backwards compatibility. Evidently on day one for the PlayStation 5, over 4,000 PlayStation 4 titles will be playable on PS5. And many of them will, or I shouldn't say many, we don't know how many, but some of them will benefit from uh, what they're calling Game Boost, which is a lot like uh, the Microsoft feature on Series X that makes current-gen games run with higher or smoother frame rates on next-gen systems. Specifically, they name-checked Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima, in particular, the devs have said there will be a, a uh, a new toggle, a new option in the menu to uh, enable faster frame rates. I hear what said. <laughs> Evidently, Siri thought I was talking to her. No, Siri, not talking to you. Um, to enable uh, smoother frame rates, which is weird to me. Like, why do I need to toggle it? I guess it makes you feel good when you're like, yes, I can toggle the toggle. But I'm like, just do the faster frame rate. Like, why would I not want that? I don't understand. But um, um, but for, so 4,000 games uh, that will be backwards compatible backwards compatible so the vast majority of PlayStation 4 titles there are some notable exce- exceptions and there is also this language in the fact about uh some games on PS4 uh may quote exhibit errors or unexpected behavior when played on PS5 and Sony is warning that before purchasing any add-ons to a PlayStation 4 game on PS5, try booting it and playing it on PlayStation 5 to see if you're, quote, happy with the play experience, <laughs> which is so interesting to me. It's like, we've got 4,000 games going, but we haven't really tested all of them. We, we're not super sure. Uh, one more thing before I pitch to you guys, and that is there are 10 games that they name check as being absolutely not playable on PlayStation 5. And this is a fascinating list to me. 
Playable on PlayStation 4 only, which is the new marker that will be on these 10 games, and we don't know, maybe more, but uh, these 10 games, Afro Samurai 2, Revenge of Kuma Volume 1, uh, DWVR Mad Triangles, which is a PlayStation VR title, Hitman Go Definitive, Definitive Edition, Joe's Diner, Just Deal With It, uh, TT Isle of Man Ride on the Edge 2. Robinson the Journey, which is a game I actually really, really like. Uh, this is the biggest bummer to me. It's a PlayStation VR title. So Robinson the Journey, excellent, excellent game on PlayStation VR. Not playable on PlayStation 5. And Shadow Complex Remastered, which is another excellent game. Uh, then uh, Shadwen, which is a game I've never heard of. And We Sing from THQ. So I don't know what it is about those 10 games. I'm so fascinated why those 10 games, like what do they do on the PlayStation 4? It's such a weird grouping of 10 games that just we couldn't get them to work. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, two, v, two PSVR games uh, and some other weird titles. Elijah, is backwards compatibility important to you? And do you like how this is being handled? Um, but it is to an extent but I've never been one to get rid of my previous console either. Not until it breaks yeah. down. So I'm still going to have my PS4. So it's not going to be that bit of an issue, but I, I kind of predicted something like this was going to happen. So I guess I'm a little more prepared way back when, when uh, Cerny did that, uh, that talk to explain how the backwards compatibility on the PS5 was going to work. I figured that it was going to be something like this. So I guess I'm just a little more grateful that it's just these 10 games are flat out saying won't work. But yeah, it's right. it's somewhat important, but not super important. Because like I said, I'll probably still have my PS4 somewhere in the house if I want to boot up an OP, uh, PS4 game. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting that this is the first generation of consoles where backwards compatibility doesn't just mean it'll work on the new console. It also means it might work better. It might be smoother. Yeah. It might have better frame rates. It might actually be a better experience, faster load times, all that stuff. So that's kind of exciting to me, especially when they, you know, they talk about these really top tier AAA games that they're, you know, they're optimizing. Uh, Christian, what do you make of these 10 games that aren't going to work? I have to think it's like loading, like the, I mean, it's like the PS5 is too fast, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> too fast. It's too good is the problem. What it is. It, yeah, Joe's I, I, diner just is, it just, it just gets too crazy at that kind of speed. I think so. I, I honestly think there's probably something with like how it, you know, these games are, we're using the old systems to, you know, as workarounds or I don't know it. I think to me, the, the, the bigger thing is, uh, you know, you mentioned these two PSVR games, but it's that the new PS5 camera doesn't work with PS4 PSVR games. So I have to still plug in my old PSI or whatever it's called um, to get it to work. And still my move control, like backwards compatibility. Generally, I do not play that many old games. Like I do, but like much older games, like I'm, <laughs> I'm playing on my analog, you know, like I have much, much older games. Um, but I think for this cross-gen time, it it is appealing. And I think Microsoft's approach is an interesting one of like, put in Cyberpunk 2077 into your Xbox Series X. You can put in the Xbox One disc 
or down, you just go on the store and download it from that console and you get it. And when the better version comes out, you'll have that. I, what I don't know is like, if I, cause I do put away my old consoles when the new ones come out, just kind of save that media space, um, uh, media center space. If like on the PS five, I guess, can I buy cyberpunk digitally? Yeah. And, just, yeah. and I could just play it on there. And so that that's important, right? Like to me, that type of, of back compatibility is important. And like ghost of Tsushima, finishing that up and like the new, um, and uh, Oh, by the way, your save is going to transfer over to the, to the PS five on ghost of Tsushima. So that's pretty rad. Like you, you won't have to start your new save. Unlike Spider-Man, for example. Yeah. And that, and I think that's a, you know, the, I, I, it was no surprise and spoiler for the end of the year. I think there's going to be a lot of Sony games on my, on my list of favorite games. Um, but their messaging is a little, it's not as clear. And if Microsoft's works the way they say it's going to work, like I believe uh, cloud saves are still a premium feature you have to pay for on PlayStation as part of PlayStation plus and Xbox. It's just, you log into your account and your save is there. And you have it, it it's never like this. Oh, it does it carry over. Does it not? It's, it's there. It's on your account. And so the fact that some games, your saves don't carry over and others, they do. I think, you know, that type of messaging is, is, is confusing. And I think as we get further into the generation, it will matter less, but at launch, when I think I can get miles Morales first on PS4, cause it comes like, does it come out on the 12? I don't know. But like, you know, I think there's just stuff like that that's going to be difficult for people as I kind of transition into this generation. Well, one of those things is a bed they made themselves, which I find to be pretty ironic and hilarious, which is everybody remembers the old uh, commercial in the last generation's rollout where or the video that they put out about sharing a disc. You know, Sony was like, how do you share discs on the PlayStation 4? And they had that video uh, here you go. Oh, thank you. Now I can use this disc on the PlayStation 4. Well, that was nice at the time, but it turns out it may have some negative repercussions for now because all of a sudden we've got a version of the PlayStation 5 with no disc drive at all. And because of that very thing where you could hand a disc to someone and the PlayStation doesn't know who owns it, it just plays it, whoever puts it in their 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 machine if you have a bunch of disc-based PlayStation 4 games and you want to play them on PlayStation 5 discless version, you're out of luck. There's no way for them to know you own it, so they can't even let you download that game. Uh, you just have to rebuy it if you want to play it on PlayStation 5 uh, or buy the PlayStation 5 with a disc drive, and then you can pop it in and play it. But I, I found that kind of ironic that this thing they touted as being so handy and so user-friendly is now not. Yeah. It, it's, it's a weird generation we're going into. Uh, I, I'm very excited, but again, I feel like it's, we're a month away and I don't month know. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing we do know is how great our next sponsor is, which is Hello Fresh. I made Hello Fresh tonight for my family because I do it uh, I do it three nights a week. I love cooking HelloFresh for my family. What is HelloFresh? It is a pre-measured, pre-organized, just convenient way to make meals yourself. Shows up at your door. It's America's number one meal kit. It's a meal kit I've been using for a long time. It makes home cooking easy, fun, 
and affordable. I've been doing it for years now. And like I said, I did it tonight. I made um, noodles and um, and shrimp uh, for my family tonight. Amazing. My kids loved it. I loved it. I got the pleasure of making the meal myself, uh, which is a pleasure. It is a pleasure to actually provide for my family, make the meal itself. And uh, they, I knew what was in it. I knew there wasn't a bunch of junk from some restaurant or some fast food place that puts garbage in because I put all the ingredients in. I knew they were fresh. It saves me time because I don't have to go to the grocery store. I don't have to shop for ingredients. I don't even have to plan, figure out what meals I'm going to do. They have these awesome, so much variety. I can pick from a ton of recipes every week, or I can just wait and see what shows up. But it's great. It's easy with the app. You just select the meals you want. And uh, it adds variety to, to our dining experience. Our menu is much more varied and interesting than it would be if I was just making the same old stuff I know how to make. Over 90% of the ingredients are sourced directly from growers that are fresh and nearby uh, so that when they deliver to your door, you know you're getting really great, high-quality, fresh ingredients. And all the packaging is almost entirely made from recyclable and or already recycled content. So they really take sustainability seriously, which is something I really like as well. It helps my life. It's flexible. It's easy. I can cancel weeks if I need to. I can just have fewer or more recipes if I need to during a week. It's awesome. And the best part is that HelloFresh gives back. They donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019. And this year, they're doing even more during the coronavirus crisis. It's awesome. Be like me and my family. I'm telling you, it has improved my life immeasurably. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 80DLC and use promo code 80DLC to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash 80DLC and the promo code 80DLC. All right, I do want to... uh, talk about one other news story. And that's because our friend Patrick Beja, who uh, has been on the show a number of times, is in is in a different part of the world in a different time zone. So we don't get him on as, as a guest quite as frequently as I would like because uh, time zones are hard. He's sleeping when we record. Um, but he sent an email about this uh, news item about Blizzard closing offices in Paris and he wrote a, a really, uh, I think, detailed and interesting breakdown of what he thinks. He's a former employee uh, at Blizzard Paris, a turned podcaster and pundit. Uh, but this is what our friend Patrick Beja had to say. He emailed me, uh, and uh, I'm going to read out because uh, I think it's interesting analysis. He said, hey, guys, I'm sure you'll cover the story of Blizzard's Paris offices closing and jobs being transferred to London. As you might remember, I used to work there. So as a Blizzard Versailles alumni and a French person, I thought I'd offer my take. This is a very significant development, in my opinion, for two reasons. Number one, Blizzard has always prided itself in doing things in-house. Translations, PR and marketing, publishing. The company handles everything to make sure it's done well. Versailles was the EU hub for those support functions. They will now be centralized in the Activision King offices in London. And it's pretty clear some roles will be consolidated. So it won't be Blizzard handling those functions. It'll be Activision Blizzard. Those are not the same company nor the same ethos. Number two, at Blizzard, the product teams are in charge. The amount of things a game director is responsible for is unbelievable. 
not just the production and release schedules, but also marketing, merchandising, PR, and more. I don't know if that'll change, but this is not the way things are done at most other companies and certainly not at Activision. There, the marketing groups are in charge. I can see how having a Blizzard culture with an Activision marketing manager would create tensions. We'll see. The bottom line, I wasn't ready to say Activision was increasing its influence over Blizzard before, but I am now. It doesn't mean everything is crap, though. Activision puts out some great products and has some amazing resources and teams. I'm still very much looking forward to Overwatch 2 and Blizzard 4 and even Blizzard Immortal, and they might be great, but yeah, okay, I don't expect this latest development to be all bad, but let's say I doubt it'll be all good. Oh, and a word on the company closure itself and the way it affects affects employees. This is a topic that is dear to your hearts, and it is to mine too, probably more than most, as many of them are former colleagues. They'll be okay. So Patrick goes on to explain how uh, unions and uh, the government in France uh, make it so that actually these people will be okay. It's not quite uh, the same kind of unemployment situation for when we talk about closures in the United States. Um, any response to that? Elijah, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I don't know if you're a Blizzard fan, but are you are you worried about all these latest moves and, the, and this closure of uh, uh, offices in Paris? It always worries me when you have a big, you know, kind of like umbrella parent company and they're kind of like thrashing their tentacles around and doing stuff. Because um, <clears throat> there, there's always this fear in the back of my head that with video games, the art should try to come first before the business side of things. And I feel when you have that giant parent company like pushing their weight around that the business side can sometimes get put in front of the art. And that that scares me. But it's like Patrick said, I think everything's going to be okay. okay. But yeah, I don't expect everything to be good with this with this latest move. This, it kind of sent a, a chill down my spine when I uh, first heard about that. <clears throat> it certainly seems to be a, a, the latest in a long line of strange and worrisome things about Blizzard. Uh, we talked about some of them, I think, last week or the week before in response, in regard to um, Mike Morheim starting a new company, uh, along with a lot of former Blizz employees. But uh, Christian, I don't know if you want to talk about this at all. I mean, I... It's it's tough because this year has been so tough in so many other ways. Um, sure, but I I do feel like Blizzard also has been awfully quiet, um, in in terms of like who they are and what they are. So I think it's it's easy for this kind of bad news to overwhelm, and especially when you have uh, Mike and gang starting uh, Blizzard. Uh, down the road <laughs> it's not even like blizzard west it's like blizzard also in the same city um yeah. I, you know like we, it's might, a- we may know more when you know there's a new blizzcon blizzcon line they're calling it uh, their virtual version of blizzcon is happening as early as february yeah so uh yes. we may there may be uh, you know some more positive feeling like you yes. said they've been really quiet and maybe they've been really quiet because blizzcon's gonna happen yes so i i, I feel like you know Last year we got some big stuff out of it, and this year it's been it's been very quiet. So I'm I'm curious, but yeah, I mean, um, in the chat, like the Gamespot had a, a round of layoffs recently because of that merger and uh, the stuff happening at Blizzard, and it, it's 
it's not a good year. You know, it's, it, it's, it's yeah, not a you good and me year. got laid off. <laughs> we know. <laughs> and it's just not, it's not, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And, and I do think the, the blizzard ness of blizzard seems to be going away. And, and that yeah, if, if true is a shame because yeah. it was so special for so long and these stories just kind of feel like it's losing its shine. Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> we <laughs> will talk about <laughs> the games that we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. All right, Elijah, I understand you, uh, you've you been pretty busy lately and, and not playing a ton of games, but um, you are one of those Destiny 2 devotees. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I own a lot of games. I keep buying games. I just don't. I haven't <laughs> had the time to play them. That's that whole adult gamer phenomenon. As a kid, you want money to play video games, but then as you're an adult, you have the money. You just don't have the time. But yeah, um, but yeah the game I do find time to play uh, is Destiny. Play a lot of Destiny. Me and my fiance play a lot of that. That's why we have the two PS4 so we can both play together. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Are you in different rooms playing together? Or, or we, uh, we are in the same room in the office. I'm like at my desk. She's at hers. Like the PS4 is like adorable. right next to her. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. But that's yes. amazing. So uh, tell me about the next expansion. Are you, are you looking forward to it? Are there specific things about it that have you amped or what, what's, what's this itch? Um, yeah. The next expansion is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. Uh, Bungie has kind of been controversial because, you know, they're taking away certain things, removing certain things out of the game that people paid for like two years ago, but they're adding new stuff. So I'm excited for the new stuff that they're adding. The whole mythos of destiny is that you're using and manipulating the light. And now we're going to be able to manipulate the dark. So I'm really excited for that. And we get a snow planet, which is like destiny's version of Hoth. So there's, you know, it's not to like about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you said you were excited potentially about um well uh, outriders is is there something that will be able to pull you away from destiny or are you so invested at this point that you're just going to be there until it it you know until the heat death of the universe it's kind of it's it's kind of like that investment thing um i think i think paul tassi wrote uh, said something recently how like when it comes to looter uh shooters and stuff like that that destiny is pretty much the world of warcraft of the looter shooter genre mm, yeah so you know it's pretty much sucks, sucks you in you're in that you put so much time into it it's hard to be pulled away you know but i i still like the looter shooter genre so anything that's somewhat similar like outriders i will try out i tried out anthem and stuff like that but yeah nothing's been able to pull me away from destiny <clears throat> Man, I, I love it. I love I love uh, games we're married to. We talk about it a lot on this show, yeah. and the it's a it's a wonderful thing to to have your stalwart, to have your go to. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Although you know it does elbow out a lot of other uh, experiences, but every everybody wants to be that, and it's interesting how there are those those kings, right? I'm I'm super excited about the next WoW expansion to drop because I've been in that world for a decade of my life or more. Yeah. Uh, and you know, on and off obviously, but it's, these things do matter and they do, uh, take up space in our, you know, in our brains that, 
that other things do not and, and can't kind of can't, um, which I find there's something lovely about that. I think. Yes, yeah. I agree. Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist? Well, also going back in time a little bit, as I was uh, reading about, um, is it IDOS? Were they the developers behind uh, Avengers? I know it's Square Enix. Um, I think IDOS. Um, reading about the PC player base woes of that game, apparently going below a thousand players and them talking about their plan to get people back and they're not worried and have this plan. And I'm, I'm one of those PC players who has not gone back to it in any um, real amount of time after finishing the campaign. But what I did go back to is Marvel ultimate Alliance three, because I was just thinking like, what is it about Marvel's Avengers that kind of like doesn't, click from there's more to do in that game there's plenty more to do in it and um i wanted to revisit marvel ultimate alliance 3 which is a switch exclusive game because in in my head i was like i really like that game it also was not perfect but its flaws were kind of like hmm not they weren't like my biggest weakness is my strength is how detail oriented i am it wasn't that but like uh shortcomings that could be easily overlooked um and so i went back to it and it, that game is not perfect, but it does so much right. And, and I think it, to me, highlights what I feel like is missing in Marvel's Avengers. And so for me, what Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 does right is, one, the roster is huge. And I know with a game um, you know, like Marvel's Avengers, it, it's, I imagine, much more time-consuming and dev and resource-intensive to make a roster of characters that is that big for that style of game. But I love I love the diversity of the roster of characters in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. I love that I'm current, constantly hot-swapping between characters, between levels, changing my team. I love that I'm changing between characters mid-level. I love that the characters interact with each other and often, right? We're doing like big power-up super moves and all those things from the comics that I see and know. And it, it has this big sprawling story and it doesn't take itself too seriously at the same time. Like it, it hits all of these notes right I feel like for a very fun brawler where there is still character progression and not the same way as like destiny, but still, you know, you're grinding to level up your characters and unlock new moves and stuff like that. And Marvel's Avengers just doesn't capture that spirit. Like I loved playing as um, Kamala and I, I really like playing as cap and, and black widow and some of the characters, but sometimes I was like, Oh, have to play as this character like that's not that's not who i want to play as and, and i can't use my ai teammate in any way i think jeff you talked about a moment where it was like it's clearly it looks like it's like two people stand on pads at the same time on buttons and like mm-hmm. your ai character doesn't do it and you need to stand on both of them and it's yeah just like it's super weird it's super weird and so what i've gone back to is marvel ultimate alliance 3 which has tons of content and what I would say is that if you had slept on that game, I don't know if it's cheap now or not. I don't know if it's been on sale or not, but if you are, you know, a Marvel zombie and looking for something to fill the gap from all the comic book movies that aren't out yet, even though, um, WandaVision and, uh, Falcon and winter soldier both look awesome. Um, I think I I would recommend Marvel ultimate Alliance three over Avengers right now in terms of like giving you that, comic book fix and letting you play with all of these characters you know and love while neither game is spider-man or the arkham series i think marvel ultimate alliance 3 for me captures more 
of what I want. And it just kind of helps me remember that I'm not going to remember Marvel's Avengers uh, at the end of the year. And it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I saw that the devs uh, came out with a statement. I was trying to find it here real quick. Uh, They came out with a statement saying, you know, that the uh, PC player base has kind of plummeted on uh, Avengers, but they're saying they think it's going to come back with upcoming content. Um, Is there something that could bring you back to that game? Are you just done? I I think there is something, but what I think disappointed me about that comment and then what I read or remember reading is that it's kind of stuff that's been announced already. Like I, I know it's coming and it's still not out and it's still not coming. Like I I don't think there's going to be enough there that will bring me back in any real way. Cause I don't think it will ever become my, you know, destiny or my forever game just because of the way the loot system works in game. And Mm, if there's another narrative expansion, if it's like, Hey, go, this is like a six hour narrative that continues the story or picks up this story with these new characters, then maybe if the price is right for that kind of thing, but the combat was never not here. You know, if you do grind more, it does become better, like late, late, late end game. But where I was end of game and a little end game, the combat was never as tight as Spider-Man or Arkham. And it wasn't quite as mashy fun as Marvel ultimate Alliance three, so I'm trying to think of what character it's like, yeah, maybe they do a WandaVision uh, spinoff or something like mm, that. That is narrative yeah, based. It cool. brings me back, but I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you still have tons of content to do. Is there anything that you think could get you back into that game? Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, <laughs> I mean, you love Marvel. This is. Your I game. love Marvel. I love Marvel. Uh, I want to finish that game. I just hit those parts where it's like, this isn't mm-hmm. the single player experience anymore. We're going to make you go and do this other stuff. And I'm like, I-, I don't want to do any of that other stuff. Just make that cool, tight. I mean, I think if that had been a full on just single player game, like you know, Tomb Raider, Spider-Man. yeah, Tomb Raider, Spider Man, yeah. yeah. Would have been, I was picking a Crystal Dynamics game. It would have been uh, phenomenal if they just made it all tight. And the fact that it, had these weird detours into going and doing a thing and uh, you know these you know look at the globe and go and do a mission that is sort of vague and is clearly made to be multiplayer it, it just felt it, just, it didn't feel good and i didn't it didn't make me want to play it it didn't uh wasn't fun you know that's yeah um but here's the, I found the uh, I found the statement from the studio. It said um, we have a number of new content pieces coming in the weeks ahead, including a totally new Warzone type mission called uh, Tachyon Rifts, a new outpost that's a jumping off point for new story missions in the future, an Ames cloning lab, which requires a coordinated high level group of four players to beat with new top end loot rewards for finishing it. Sounds like a raid or something close to that. And in each of these uh, updates, we do tuning and bug bug fixing to enhance the overall experience. In addition, we've announced two new heroes coming in the near future. Kate Bishop in Operation Take Aim. And after that, the double feature operation starring Clint Barton. Uh, This is the two Hawkeyes we mentioned at the last war table. So uh, Hawkeye, want to get you back, back, Christian? Hawkeye and Hawkeye? No. I mean, Elijah, I'm curious, like, as a, a much more dedicated Destiny player than I am, when you see these types of games come out, is there something that you can identify about 
what you think will work or what you think won't like Anthem, this works, this won't Avengers has this, it doesn't have this. Like, what do you think destiny is done enough right of, and where do you think these other games have maybe fallen short? The, so let me just first off say I'm a huge comic book fan, huge Marvel fan. And I really didn't have that much interest in the Avengers. Mm. And I think a part of that is because the, the genre that, it was in like the whole kind of like looter game thing that doesn't lend itself very well to uh, an, a, a comic book game because yeah, unlike true. destiny, we, you know, you go into destiny, you don't know the story, but you can't, you can, it's really hard to find any, someone who doesn't know the story of like a Thor or a Spider-Man or a Captain America. And because of that, you don't want to spend time, upgrading thor you want thor to be thor (laughs) yeah you don't want to spend time grinding him out unlocking abilities and stuff like that you want thor to be thor and you know i kind of i kind of feel like it has some of the same issues as dc online did where it's like okay you have thor and you have hawkeye well you know thor is a lot stronger than hawkeye so why are they fighting the same villains and having the same, you know, being hurt by the same thing. So your brain, it's kind of hard to wrap around that. But, um, I mean, that's more of a Hawkeye problem than anything else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's more yeah, of a, <laughs> the idea so, of a Hawkeye hanging out with a god. <laughs> it's exactly. a little like, <laughs> so, so, you know, if, you know, between like, there's no, no balance there. Like, you know, you have Thor, you have Hawkeye, of course you should pick Thor. <laughs> but um <laughs> always pick thor that's the, yeah, that's the always the always, pick, always pick thor but the thing is you have this idea of where the story goes and you want it to go to those places unlike something like destiny that like the story is unfolding in front of you you don't really know what it is and it keeps you coming back whereas with something like this you kind of know the story already and you just want it to like get there you don't yeah. you know that thor should be amazing you don't want to spend time unlocking his powers you don't want to spend time unlocking new suits for tony and stuff like that so i just feel like marvel's avengers was probably not the right thing to put as like a looter game yeah i think that's probably accurate at least how they did the loot didn't seem particularly satisfying but it's a tough thing it's a tough thing i mean what i like about loot is that it makes my person look cool and yeah you know the avengers already look cool they already look cool they're not gonna look any differently cool yeah Um, it's tough um, another, you know, another thing I wanted to bring, I, I've been continuing to play a bunch more, um, uh, Star Wars squadrons and still enjoying that game, especially in VR. It's just, it's just a, it's great. It's really wish fulfillment and I, I love it, but there was, uh, a statement, I think it was an interview this week, uh, from the devs saying, you know, it, it's this $40 experience, which is great. Uh, it's, it's not full price game, not a 60, $70 game. I think it's perfectly uh, priced at 40 bucks for what you get. It's a great package. But uh, they were talking specifically to upload VR and saying that this is it. This is the game. They said never say never, but they're not, there's no plans for more game. Um, they said uh, we try to treat it uh, kind of an old school approach saying you paid the 40 bucks. This is the game and it's entirely self-contained. We're not planning to add more content. This is the game and we hope you understand the value proposition. So no new modes, no new DLC, no extra bits here and there. 
you know, I was kind of hoping that maybe if this game did well, we'd see some sort of, you know, you're flying close to the surface of a planet type missions. You get to, you know, do some Hothi kind of stuff. You get to do some, uh, you know, you get to fly around close to planets and, and, and do, um, you know, in cockpit attacking the surface vehicles type situations. It sounds like, no, there, there's, there's no more. This is the game. Uh, and I wonder, you know, we've talked a lot about games of service and destiny two and stuff like that. And I'm sure Elijah, that a lot of the hook to keep playing destiny two for you has been, there's more stuff. There's always more stuff. There's updates all the time. There's, and that's what a lot of these, uh, games of service, that's, that's their whole, um, reason for continuing to exist is because that keeps people playing, that keeps people spending, that keeps the game alive. This is an old school approach, right? There's a lot of people that say, I want all the game on the disc and I don't want you guys to, to, you know, you developers to not have stuff that you could have put in the game. Why, why do I have to buy extra more? So, you know, in one way, one sense, this is kind of noble of them. And you say, well, yeah, this is what we all want. It's like, this is the game. We didn't have plans for any extra. You got the whole game. And it said only at 40 bucks. But there's a part of me that's like, oh, that's kind of sad. There's not going to be any extra game. I, I wonder how you feel about this, Elijah. And well, on one hand, it's it's pretty it's refreshing to to see like it's complete. It is what it is. The yeah. take it, take it or leave it. But but yeah, it's it's always nice to get to get new things, but on the other hand, there's like that idea of like fear of missing out the FOMO, like that kind of alleviates that and allows you to just enjoy the game in the moment and not constantly think about, well, what's next. You know, yeah. that's, 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 Where's the game of the year edition. Where's the complete edition. Where's the, all the DLC packs. Yeah. All that stuff that we've been dealing with ad nauseum for years. Yeah. Like DLC is fine when it's like substantial, you know, you know what I mean? Because I s- still remember like, the the seventeen thousand versions of Street Fighter, <laughs> like Street Fighter Alpha sure, Two and all yeah. that stuff. So it's nice to like get the DLC if it's substantial and it's actually continuing uh, a narrative or something like that and giving you what you want. But just having a complete game that you can just play and enjoy and that be that, I I kind of like that. What about you, Christian? Yeah, I think maybe where some of the chomping at the bit for this is that it's a multiplayer game. And, you know, largely, right? And that's kind of how it was advertised. And a lot of times, not a lot of times, recently we've been spoiled by what those packages are and what we've come to expect them to be. You know, there was a time, uh, Halo 2, right? Or It's like, this is the game. There's multiplayer and you play uh, Longest all the time. You play Hang'em High all the time. Because that's what there is. And then Halo 2 comes out and you're like, oh my God. And then was it Halo 3 was the Forge? My Halo timeline might be a little muddy at this point. But it's like, oh, we can make customized. We can have infinite maps. We can play all these things. We can share them online. And of course, on PC, there had been mods and stuff like that before. But Call of Duty, it was like, these are the maps. You have uh, Nuketown and my Call of Duty map knowledge is more limited than my Halo map knowledge. Um, But these are the maps you have. And then it became like, oh, we're introducing a new mode. And a new map. We're bringing this map back. And there's a new way to play. And now we've brought this. And it's like, oh, wow. And that is a relatively new feature. Um, and yeah, Epic Open World in the chat said before there were map packs, right? You'd, you'd buy them even. It's like new maps. You go buy these new maps between sequel expansions. But now it's like 
you know, Fortnite, someone in chat, apologies for missing the name, you know, like, oh, maybe they need to add Battle Royale to Avengers to bring people back. Except they already did, and it was done in Fortnite, and it was done really well. <laughs> you know, like great looking characters, good skins, weapons, I, uh, events that were happening in there. Um, and, and it's just constantly new content coming out Call of Duty, maps, uh, tweaks to gameplay changes, all of that stuff. And so I think people are maybe disappointed in Star Wars, where it's like, we really like this game. There's a lot to latch on to. And I wish there was more. And it seems like they're like, no, this is it. Just go go play those modes. And I think it's going to be hard for that game to stay in the zeitgeist like that when so many other games are, are chomping at the bit and releasing new stuff constantly. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm excited because that means when I play it as part of my Game Pass here in a little bit, I won't be like, you know, behind. <laughs> <laughs> it's real good. I'm, enjoy- I'm very I'm excited. enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let me think our, I, I want to talk about Baldur's Gate three. Very excited to talk about that, but I want to thank our, our second sponsor first. And that is Quip, uh, which is my toothbrush. I just got a new one. I just got a new Quip and I'm so excited. It's the new smart electric toothbrush, uh, that has both good habits and great per- perks combined. You get free products, gift cards, and more perks for brushing your teeth. It's pretty, pretty cool. Now, You've heard me talk about Quip before. I have three of them in my house. Now I've got four. Uh, this is brand new. This fourth, this new one is brand new because it rewards you even as you're, you know, making your life easier, having great oral hygiene. Uh, this is a, a smart toothbrush for both adults and kids. It connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth. I've been using this. It's, it's super slick. It tracks when and how well you brush. So you keep yourself honest, which is Good, good for me, good for me. I gotta keep myself honest. You get tips and coaching to improve your oral hygiene habits and you earn points. So it gamifies the act of brushing your teeth. Great for kids, great for me, because I need this. Uh, you get points for daily brushing, bonus points for completing challenges like streaks, and then you can redeem those rewards or redeem those points for rewards like Products like gift cards, like discounts from Quip and from Quip's partners. It's pretty awesome. And if you already have a Quip, you can get the upgrade kit. It comes with a smart motor and you get to keep the features that you already know and love from the Quip that you already have. The sonic vibrations that are perfect for sensitive teeth, the two minute timer with 30 second pulses. I love all that stuff. Keeps me, lets me, lets my mind wander and keeps me on task for a two minute brush. Pretty great. It's slim, lightweight, and sleek with no wires or bulky charges to weigh down. It's awesome. You've got great toothpaste flavors. They got watermelon. They got anti-cavity ingredients. They got all the things you need to com- to build a complete routine for keeping your oral hygiene at its tippity top. So join over 5 million mouths who use Quip and save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart brush for just 45 bucks. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today. Go to getquip.com slash DLC right now and get your first refill free. That's your first refill. That's toothpaste, a battery, a new brush head, super slick, so cool, so easy. You get it for free at getquip.com slash DLC. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash DLC. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. All right, I want to tell you guys about 
Baldur's Gate 3, which I purchased in early access. This is Larian's new game in partnership with Wizards of the Coast, bringing the storied Baldur's Gate franchise back after many years away, uh, bringing their engine that they, they created for Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2 uh, to, uh, to D&D, to Dungeons & Dragons, which is super exciting to me. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 is in my favorite games of all time. It was my game of the year the year it came out. I think it is one of the greatest role-playing games ever made, bar none. Uh, and it, it, you know, it really is the spiritual successor to my favorite game of all time, which is Ultima 7. So it, these top-down, isometric, uh, big, deep, turn-based role-playing game, it's catnip. And I also happen to Dungeon Master, a Dungeons & Dragons game that I've been doing for 68 episodes now. Uh, and so I'm, I'm knee-deep in Dungeons & Dragons. And so this is like, you know, peanut butter and chocolate for me. It's It's... Uh, that's two peanut butter analogies I made in one episode, you guys. Wow. I'm really going there for the peanut butter. Um, Alamba. Alamba. <laughs> Am I old enough? Did I show my age enough there? Pretty good. Uh, anyway, so it was all teed up for me to love Baldur's Gate 3. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. I love Baldur's Gate 3. However... This is a full-on early access product. Uh, first of all, it's just the first act of the game. So they're saying that's like 20 hours of content. I have not played 20 hours of content, but I also have not gotten to the end of the early access content. Um, How lame and boring is your character? Were they calling you out in that blog post? No, man. I, I made a gif. I made a I made a, a, a really interesting, cool-looking character. I didn't, I didn't make no boring You didn't make human. no Jeff can cannot nada get it done <laughs> no. or something like that i made a warlock uh, I, it's pretty rad um so the negatives are it is an early access i have experienced a number of crashes uh that have frustrated me um but they are doing hot fixes every day so far at least i or not maybe every day but frequently um and um i assume they're addressing a lot of that stuff i crashed the first day i played it uh, and the second day I played it, but I haven't crashed um, in a couple of days now. So that's pretty great. And um, hopefully that, you know, that continues and they continue to support the the game in, in really fast response uh, hotfixes. But everything else is just fantastic. I mean, I don't know if I would say rush out and buy the early access right now. You may want to wait for the game to be released in full, which is not soon. I think it's probably late 2021 at the earliest. But, man, is it gorgeous. It is a beautiful, beautiful game. I mean, the Divinity Original Sin 2 Ultimate Edition, or whatever they called it, the, the console version, already had a huge upgrade visually uh, that they brought over to PC. And this, it, I think, is even to the next level of how gorgeous this engine looks. Man, the game is beautiful. It has full cutscenes now. Uh, Divinity, you would, you, know, you would experience story beats uh, it, it really effectively with fully voiced dialogue and stuff, but it would all stay, you know, in that isometric view. Now, anytime you get into a cool dialogue scene, it's zooming in, you're seeing characters up close and they look great. Um, that's awesome. And it is this really awesome fusion of a, a great role-playing game, video game, and the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rule set, which I know very, very well, dungeon, uh, dungeon mastering a, a game in it. Um, 
and I don't think it's an easy thing to do to bring that to a video game. The action economy of Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition is very, very different from the action economy of a divinity original sin action economy of course means what you can do on your turn, right? With fifth edition D and D it's very limited. You basically have one action. Some classes get extra bonus stuff, bonus actions and free actions, but for the most part, you get one action and movement, and that's about it. Now, Baldur's Gate 3 gives you a bunch of free actions for every character, like leaping and shoving and doing some stuff, which aren't technically D&D, you know, uh, they call it raw rule as written, but I think it works very well in the context of the game. But even so, it's a very different thing than Divinity Original Sin 2 or 1, which is you know, you had these action points and different things cost a different number of action points and you could string together a number of things in a single turn, multiple attacks and multiple, uh, you know, you could move and do all kinds of different things, use items and then, you know, heal. And it, it was a completely different strategical layer because you could do so much more on a turn. And ultimately what that means is rounds go much faster in Baldur's Gate 3 because there's fewer things to do. And I think that's a function of designing a game for people to sit around a table and play together, right? A, a Dungeons and Dragons experience. You don't want to lag, you know, you want people to get in and get out, do the thing they're going to do fast so that you're not sitting around a table for 15 hours on an evening. Um, but it also kind of picks up the pace of the video game. Uh, and I find that to be fascinating. I don't know if I prefer it. I still think having um, more options for a video game per character in my party it, you know, in a turn is, I still prefer it for Divinity, but it's so D&D, right? It's so D&D, and it feels so familiar to me that I enjoy that about it. And it really, it really embraces the rule set for 5th edition. It really embraces uh, all of the specifics of how uh, character classes in the game work, how death saving throws work. Uh, by the way, you will die a lot. I, I think the game is not balanced uh, in early access quite yet, or maybe they're just making for a very brutal game. But there is no, no uh, concern about letting a player wander into a situation that they cannot win, right? This game will let you get yourself into a situation where you will die and you just have to load a save. Uh, and I don't know if that's how they're going to ship the game when it fully releases or if that's just sort of balance that hasn't happened yet in early access. I certainly hope it's the latter because it doesn't feel particularly satisfying to get yourself into a situation that, oh, there's 14 people here and I just attacked one of them thinking there was only one. Now it I'm also dead. feels not very D&D. You know, like I know this is a video game and not well, on the table, but like depending on who your DM is. Depending on your DM. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what I haven't heard yet, and I know this is... What, actually, I think maybe we can't do the comparison. Were you an early access person of Divinity Original Sin as well? I was, yeah. yeah. Well, I was. I'd love to hear that because like Divinity Original Sin was like, it's the Baldur's Gate, you know, but like missing the license wink. And now they have the, yeah. the license. Is this, you know, is it Divinity Original Sin 3 or is it Baldur's Gate? No, like, it, how, it really how, how feels it like feel? D&D. Yeah. It feels like D&D. It feels like this 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 hybrid of of Divinity and D&D. I mean, it really is D&D. Like for example, if you get into a situation where you would need to roll for something, a big D20 icon comes up on the screen and you click it and it rolls and it tells you the DC that you need to hit uh to 
to win the um, the roll and you watch the die roll and it comes up and you see if you did it or not. I mean, that never happened in Divinity, right? It was all behind the scenes. I'm sure there were, you know, random numbers that were compared, but it was all behind the scenes. And there are a number of roles that happen behind the scenes in this game too, but it's fun because if you want to do like a persuasion check on someone in a, in a dialogue sequence or an intimidation check or, you know, all these things that are very Dungeons and Dragons, you get a cool D20 that comes up on the screen and you actually roll it and you see it. Now it is weird though, because I did a, a check where I was supposed to have a plus four modifier. It doesn't show you the modifier. I'm hoping that through the early asset access process, they will show you what your modifier and, and the math that, that uh, led up to the roll. Because I had one where it's like, it was a, um, it was a uh, a DC six. No, no, no. It was a D. Yeah, DC six. And I had plus four on the roll. I had plus two from charisma and plus two from my like intimidation, my uh, proficiency modifier. And um, I rolled a four, which I shouldn't been able to do. Like I should have. The minimum I should have been able to roll is a five, but it told me I rolled a four. So I was like, that can't be right. Or maybe it didn't apply both of the modifiers. I don't know. But it would be nice to see the math. I think that would be satisfying to see the math and not just give you a number. It just gives you a number on the die, on the face of the die without showing you your modifiers. That's super nerdy and, you know, inside baseball. But I do I do hope they change that. Uh, but it, it's really satisfying and it makes it feel like D&D. And it's so much of the game feels like D&D. Now, another thing that separates it from D&D is that there's a there's a sequence right at the beginning. By the way, I should say the game starts with a bang. It is so cool. I mean, you're doing huge cool stuff. You're in this tentacled spaceship thing that's run by mind flayers and you're it's crazy. It's bonkers. It's 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 really cool. The Divinity Original Sin 2 started with a you're on a ship and you crash land on an island or on a on a shore of a of land. And they do that here as well. And I kind of feel like it's a nod to that, but they do it with like a spaceship and it's way crazier. And it feels like they kind of did a nod to how their game started. But anyway, um, there's a sequence at the very beginning where you're on the ship and you want to get to the controls and you have to fight through these demons to get to this, to the, to the controls. Well, I have a warlock and one of the warlocks first level spells, or I think it might be even a cantrip is mage hand which is basically a disembodied ghost hand that lets you manipulate things from a distance. So I was like, oh, cool. I don't even have to get to the controls. I'll just use Mage Hand. Well, no, the game doesn't let you do that. You have to get to the controls to trigger the cutscene to do the thing. And I was like, well, okay, I get that you're a video game and that's awesome. But like, if I was playing D&D, I'd say that to my DM and the DM would make that happen, you know, because there's no reason why the Mage Hand couldn't do the thing that you showed me my dude is doing in the cutscene. So don't give me mage hand and then not let me do that. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's still not D and D, but man, there's so much to like about it. It's gorgeous. All the effects look really cool. All the, um, magic in the game looks really powerful and effective. It, it, the, the, the dungeons and dragons ness of the combat is very, very cool and fun. Um, I'm, I'm in love with it and, and I know it's early access, but it's, this game is so my jam on so many levels. I just, I just adore Baldur's Gate 3 so far, despite it's, you know, rough around the edges, not finished state. Do you think you'll finish this first chapter or kind of 
you've played it, you got a taste, and you're going to wait for some. I mean, they said what it might be a year still before. I know, yeah. I think how much do you play now? <clears throat> I've been playing a bunch. I, I I played the whole first act of Divinity Original Sin two mm-hmm. in early access and got to the end where you can't go past it and waited, and then it was cool like picking up the second act, but. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to play the whole game as a one experience. I don't know. I'm I'm digging it now. There's so much stuff coming out. I may not play all 20 hours, but I've played, I don't know, five hours so far. And I, uh, you know, it's just, it's so good. And I, as I'd said a few weeks ago, I was feeling the itch to go back to Divinity Original Sin 2, uh, which is still installed on my hard drive. And now I'm like, well, now I've got this. Like, it's, 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 it's so good. So good. Anyway, that is Baldur's Gate 3, and it is an early access. All right. We're actually going to wrap the show up here. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Elijah Lee, thank you so much for being here, man. It's so great talking to you. Hey, it's my honor to be here. Thank, I really enjoyed being on the podcast. Can't wait to come back. <clears throat> oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely have to have you back. Uh, tell folks uh, where they can find you and all of your work online. Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash the icon stream or my website at www.theicon.com. Very, very cool. And Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, vote, vote early, vote, um, vote safely, but take the time to understand the issues and and vote get it done make sure you you know you have your ballot or you have your voting plan in place you can still go to vote.org which is a not-for-profit nonpartisan organization that wants to make sure that you understand the ways in which you can vote and how you can vote and where you can vote in your <coughs> excuse me in your area so go do that go and vote um vote.org the best way to see kind of what i have going on each week is twitter which is at spicer spi C-E-R, and um, as pointed out in the chat, this was not something I knew, but happy Canadian Thanksgiving to all yeah. of those Canucks up north. Yay, happy Canadian Thanksgiving. You can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And you can email this show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting your feedback, your comments, your questions, anything you'd like. Even a review, if you'd like to review a a game that we have overlooked or have a different opinion of than you, please do send it, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I also have several other podcasts for you to listen to if you're so inclined. I talk about movies and video games, excuse me, video games here, movies and TV shows uh, on a show called The Slash Filmcast, which is lots of fun. And I uh, review the movie, the featured movie every week in the form of a limerick which you can also order for any occasion on your own. So you can listen to that show at slashfilmcast.com. And if you want me to give you a personalized message, I am available on cameo.com, a cameo.com slash Jeff Canada, two N's and one T there. And uh, I've, I've been doing limericks for people for lots of different reasons, for birthdays, for weddings, for anniversaries, for any old, any old thing. If you have a, a message you'd like me to say, I'm there purchasable at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. It's been a lot of fun. Done over 45 of them at this point. Pretty happy about that. And also, uh, I'm doing the, um, the, we have concerns, which is a comedy science show. You can listen to it. It'll teach you something and entertain you. Also, I've got the dungeon run, which is the, uh, Dungeons and Dragons show. I mentioned when we were talking about Baldur's gate, 
Um, I talk about it a lot. This last episode was the culmination of like two years of work. And it's one that's been in my head for almost two years. It's the end point of our act one. And I've been getting the most incredible feedback for it. Uh, check it out, the dungeon run. Uh, I, in fact, we got an email. Uh, somebody sent it as their parting gift, but I felt it was a little too sub- self-serving to read as a parting gift. So I'm going to read it here instead. This comes from Josh Martunis. Josh says, uh, I can wholeheartedly recommend your listeners tune in to the dungeon run. I know you recently did the bite-sized summary episode and will definitely catch people up. But if people are looking for top-tier fantasy characters, action, drama, and humor, they need look no further than the dungeon run. While the summary will get you ready for the recent episodes by hitting plot highlights, it's impossible to describe the hundreds of small character moments that make the show truly shine and stand out amongst every other D&D stream out there. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. So check that out. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run or as an audio podcast. It works great as an audio podcast. You can search for The Dungeon Run as an audio podcast as well, anywhere you get podcasts. Or you can listen live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. And finally, I have another new show. Uh, Thursdays, I'm streaming on uh, Twitch for the fan controlled football league fan controlled football is going to be basically video game football but with real humans it's going to work like like madden although i don't think they're allowed to say that but it'll work like madden uh in a lot of ways and fans control everything there are teams owned by uh by famous folks including uh, marshawn lynch and mike tyson and richard sherman and there is a team owned by greg miller and the kind of funny kids so uh it's this fusion between video games and real life sports it's wild and i'm doing the official podcast we stream thursdays at 3 p.m we are the lead-in for thursday night football you can find that at twitch.tv slash fcf for fan controlled football it's a lot of stuff it's a lot of stuff but now we're gonna wrap the show up with our parting gifts hey give us a suggestion Elijah, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? See, my suggestion was going to be voting early, but someone took that already. <laughs> no, do hey, you it. Know, it doesn't it hurt to reiterate it. Yeah. You can always say it twice. Yeah, vote vote early. Voting is important. Please do it. It's yes, very, very important. Very important, and it feels good. It feels good. It's not just this like chore you have to do. You'll actually feel like you're contributing to the world at large, and it's a pretty wonderful thing, actually. It feels neat. So do it. Vote.org is a good place to find out about uh, what you need to know. Um, but yeah, do it. Do it. All the cool kids are doing it. Christian Spicer, you got a parting gift? Yes, I do. Uh, I think I've mentioned maybe an older run of the Black Widow books. And if you can't tell by Mar- Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 and talking about Black Widow in that game and just the state of uh, superhero movies and just movies in general. Um, <clears throat> the Black Widow comic books are incredible. And at part of, I think it was New York Comic Con, Virtual Con, or however they did it this year, they announced some um, um, MCU variant covers of the 2020 uh, Black Widow book. It's really, they're really cool. I love, um, 
Jen Bartel did a cover and they're, they're just in, absolutely incredible. But that run, that current run of Black Widow is is really, really good. And um, as is the, was it 2018? The earlier run. But what I will say is if you are like me and missing kind of the spectacle that was or could have been a summer of comics at the movie theaters, there are excellent comics <laughs> out still that you can read and the one i'd recommend right now is the 2020 run of of black widow and check out some of those variant covers that got released to see um the mcu version scarlet as um miss romanoff and uh it's 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 really good so check it out go read some comics as you wait to get them back on the big screen again yeah good suggestion my parting gift is a show that is on Apple TV Plus. Um, I, I already talked about. Uh, I already talked about um, uh, Ted Lasso, which is fantastic. Makes you feel good, positive. I mentioned that a few weeks ago, and uh, and now here's another one. It, it's almost as if the Apple TV Plus is a worthwhile service <laughs> that I will continue to enjoy. After my year free on a, from, from buying an Apple product uh, expires, and that is the long way up. Uh, I was a big fan of the long way round and the long way down, which are two docu series um, that follow Ewan McGregor, the actor, and his friend as they motorcycle across the world. Uh, those were way back in the early two thousands, and they were fascinating and fun, and really just kind of wonderful wish fulfillment, you know, going around the world on a motorcycle, just wild. Um, and they, you know, they haven't done those in over a decade. And now they're back with another called the long way up where they went from the tip top bottom of uh, Argentina, I guess, in South America to all the way up to Los Angeles. And, uh, they did it all using electric vehicles, electric bikes and electric support vehicles. Um, it's really, really fun to watch. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's called the long way up on Apple TV plus. Here's a listener-suggested parting gift that was sent to us uh, at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Brandon. Brandon says, uh, hey, my wife and I also canceled our gym memberships back in March. And with another kid on the way, we realized going to the gym will only become harder once it's safe to do so. My summer project has been slowly building a home gym in our basement. A home gym can be as cheap or as expensive a hobby as you make it. Take some time to budget out what you need and begin building the gym that fits your needs. My home gym should break even from the savings from not having a gym membership in only a couple of years. P.S. This project is especially fun if you enjoyed the thrill of missing out on all those console pre-orders lately as gym equipment is scarce right now. Join the home gym subreddit if you need help. Uh, good suggestion, Brandon. Thank you for that parting gift. If you'd like to have your parting gift, on the show, send us an email, dlcfeedback at gmail.com with parting gift in the subject heading. All right, fellas, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Elijah Lee and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with all of us live in real time and making the show better. We appreciate you. Thank you to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. And thank you to each and every one of you who downloads the show. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>